0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Skyrim Audio Adventure. I can't even really get into the stuff that's been going on with me, but I'm just glad that I'm finally putting this out. I'd like to give a special thanks to Eden's Rest and Eric Upchurch for supporting me on Patreon. I know I've been tied up lately, but I'll do everything that I can to live up to your patronage. And so, without further ado, let's get to why you are here. Chapter 10 of the Skyrim Audio Adventure, The Beast Within. pacing back and forth across the smooth stone floor of the temple. His ankle had been healed, but it still felt unsure. The floor of the temple was immaculate. At the edges and in the side rooms it was the standard arrangement of pine planks, but in the main chamber it was a multi-shade mosaic of smooth tiles. If he could ever call a stone luxurious, this would be it. It was so smooth and pleasing to the touch, He wondered if he could even call it soft. Then he wondered why it wasn't slippery. Here and there, the floor dipped down into shallow pools of water just deep enough to submerge oneself if laying flat. The pools, fed by Whiterun's secondary spring, were surrounded by pillars inlaid with abstract glyphs under murals of stained glass depicting natural forms that managed to be both familiar and ambiguous. The hunter blinked deliberately several times, feeling the healed cut over his eye. It felt a little scratchy, and he swore the blinking action had gotten louder. Maybe it was just because he was focusing on it. He promised himself this would be the last scar for a while. He would have liked to say forever, but that just wasn't realistic. Turning his thoughts away from that, he focused on the cool stone under his bare feet and the subtle wind that brushed across his bare chest as it wandered through the temple hall. A window must be open somewhere. He was wearing only a light pair of pale flaxen trousers the priest had given him for his recovery. It was the garb of the delivered, the benefactors of Kynareth's mercy, the wayfarers and travelers lost to the tides of fate now brought home and whole once again. Along with the matching shirt, the flaxen garb was probably the nicest thing he'd ever worn, and he was debating the pros and cons of accidentally walking away with them. He sighed, turned, and continued pacing. He took several easy, calming steps, then a few staggered fencing steps. One, two, three, four, five, six, four, five, six. Turn. Bracknell, Ayala, and Aethys had emphasized footwork a lot during practice, but now he was having trouble remembering the patterns. He focused on the basics. Balance, width, mobility, don't get caught flat-footed, and always be prepared to move off the center line. He'd been here a couple days recovering, and a dappled gray noon was passing by outside. His ribs were fine, his wrist was fine, everything was fine, and still... His heart raced. He'd noticed that after being healed through arcane means his injuries had a tremulous, weak feeling, like the tendons and muscles were trying to relearn their jobs. As troubling as it was that he had been injured enough to make this observation, it was not what had him so perturbed. Someone or something had spared him, helped him, hidden him, almost killed him. He was alive, and that was lucky. But if what the priest said was true, he'd almost had his skull crushed. What in all Nern was he supposed to make of this? He wasn't sure. But he knew who he wanted to ask. One, two, three, four, five, six. Turn.
1: I see the priests are still doing fine work.
0: The hunter paused at the unexpected yet... Unmistakable voice. I'm sure you'd know. He turned to see Carlotta's soft smile and sooty dress. After all, selling crops is a calling fraught with peril.
1: You don't see many elderly cropmongers, do you?
0: The widow grinned at him.
1: It's good to see you up and about.
0: Well, I'm up. Not quite about yet, the hunter said, stepping over to a pile of his things lumped at the base of a pillar. He grabbed the flaxen shirt and threw it over his torso. When he turned around, Carlotta had taken a seat on a bench adjacent to the healing pools. He joined her, gingerly settling himself onto the smooth wood. Carlotta took in the temple, all brimming with history, set aglow by the light diffusing through the windows, and sighed.
1: I've always liked it in here.
0: Were you a healer?
1: No, just like the atmosphere. I never had the aptitude for magic.
0: Neither do I, but there are other ways to heal, apart from magic.
1: True, but none that pay as well as selling crops.
0: Hmm, the hunter grunted, looking around the temple briefly. Where's Mila?
1: Her and Lars Battleborn are manning the stall while I visit you. Isolde is keeping an eye on the coffers.
0: Battleborn? The hunter's ear twitched at the name. His family owns that farm I was in.
1: Not just that farm. The Battleborns are probably the most affluent family in all of Whiterun.
0: Really? So that's why you're not worried about her?
1: The guards do good work, and nothing would ever happen to the youngest of the Battleborns. That said, I do feel guilty. What for? Even though it doesn't look like it most days, I do need Mila's help. The work can be a slog. And she can pull her weight when I ask her. Not to mention, we protect each other in a million subtle ways. But it's wrong. Honestly, if I could have her apprentice here, I would. She could find work as a caretaker, or even study the restoration school of magic if she has the aptitude. Maybe then she could grow up. And out. Beyond the dirt and crime.
0: The hunter listened quietly to the anxieties of the widow, nodding softly as he did. I figured playing around in the dirt and grime was pretty natural for a kid her age. Carlotta rolled her eyes, suppressing a smirk.
1: Ah, you know what I mean.
0: I do. I also know that you've had your fair share of misfortune, and you've made the best of it. You've been brave enough, smart enough, and strong enough to go it alone. You put Mila first, and never wavered. I know I barely know you, but... I'm just saying what I see. You're a good mother. Mila is lucky to have you. Carlotta was quiet beside him while he calmly stared ahead. When he finally looked over to her, she tossed her head back with a heavy sniff that may have belied tears. Thanks. She said tight-voiced, before clearing her throat and looking back at him.
1: I appreciate it. No
0: problem. I also need to thank you for dragging me back here the other day.
1: You don't need to thank me.
0: But I do. As I understand it, you saved my life. I am in your debt.
1: Oh no, it's it's fine, really.
0: I'm not joking. There's a lack of balance here, and I'm probably heading out soon. So, in the time we have, anything you need, I'm there.
1: Mm, okay. Look, you can say thank you all you want, but definitely don't do that. Do what? I know how you Skyrim men are, and I'm just saying I want no life debts, blood packs, or oaths sworn to me. I only did what was right.
0: Tiak and Hardy probably wouldn't have done it. They were halfway to thinking I was a brigand.
1: Maybe they wouldn't have, but I'm serious. You don't need to owe me anything.
0: But... I... I... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm having trouble with that.
1: Are you like this with everyone? Do you find yourself counting favors like beans?
0: It helps, I guess. I'm not really a people person. It kind of helps me keep track. It helps me know who my allies are.
1: That's a dangerous game. Why? Well, how many people owe you favors and don't know it themselves? Would you only do the right thing if you stood to gain favor?
0: I certainly hope not.
1: Then why do it?
0: Because it's the right thing? Carlotta was giving him a hard stare, and he was cracking. He could feel it.
1: Good. Keep that in mind when you're out there.
0: Okay, but still, that doesn't mean I should refuse boons simply because I don't expect them. Some would consider such things impolite.
1: Some would also consider it impolite to demand something from a man recovering in a temple of healing.
0: Oh, wow, the hunter said, leaning back to gain some temporary distance from this unexpected challenge to his social skills. As if you didn't see my moves just now, I'm as deadly as can be.
1: Not a chance. You couldn't terrify a puppy.
0: ha! <laughs> oh, my spirit, the hunter clutched at his chest. How swift you bite back like a snake grabbed by the tail. Surely I'd be better off sunken into the wheat field. Food for the crops and crows.
1: By the nine. Don't irrigate me.
0: Carlotta rolled her eyes so hard he could hear it.
1: Fine. I'll tell you how you can pay me back. Tell me what really happened that night. How did you get so hurt?
0: The hunter was glad to turn down the theatrics, but he wasn't sure about this proposition. He didn't know enough to feel safe with his own truth. That's fair, he began, licking his lips in thought. Well, like I said, I was just out for a walk. I'd had a rough evening and needed some head space. And when I was out there, I accidentally got the attention of some wolves. Wolves? Yeah, there's this pack from where I live in the mountains. And I guess they just felt like wandering north, or maybe they wanted something from me.
1: You know them?
0: In a sense. They know my scent, and they know that they can get food off me without killing me. I don't follow. I kind of end up... feeding them.
1: How did you... feed them? Um,
0: details aren't important.
1: I disagree.
0: Anyway, they sort of... "'Mugged me, knocked me down, and stole all the dried meat from my pack. "'I hit my head on the wall on the way down, and that's how I got hurt.'
1: "'Did they scratch you?'
0: "'Uh, superficially, yes.' "'No.' "'Carlotta pointed at the long slit down the right side of his face.
1: "'I'm talking about your eye.'
0: "'Oh.' "'The hunter seemed taken aback. "'Uh, yeah, that was them.' "'Carlotta looked at the hunter's hand.
1: "'And that's how you lost your finger?' By feeding them before?
0: Hmm? Oh, no, that was, a. Uh... The hunter flexed his hand experimentally. That was... Something else. But you see all these little crater marks on my forearm? The hunter held up his left arm and rolled back the sleeve for the widow to see. That was them. Well, one of them, at least. Came right after me.
1: By the nine...
0: The widow leaned in.
1: How did you survive that?
0: I paid him back in full. The widow gave him a look like a mother silently chiding a runt for backtalk. The hunter suppressed a laugh and cleared his throat. You can, uh, touch the scars if you like. I can't even feel those spots anymore. Hmm. The widow placed a hand over the marks, rubbing softly. She then met his eye and turned over her hand to reveal the extensive set of calluses on her palm. Neither can I, she said with a sad smirk. The hunter nodded respectfully, matched her smirk, and shrugged. Already said it, didn't I? You're a good mother. After a moment of quiet connection, the hunter sighed sharply and stood. He retrieved his boots and started working them onto his feet.
1: You have somewhere to be?
0: I have questions, and you're going to hate this, but I feel like I am owed answers. Carlotta didn't scowl, just rested her chin on her hand, amused.
1: Do they know that they owe you?
0: The hunter threw up his eyebrows and ran his fingers through his shoulder-length nest of hair. I sure hope they do. If not... He furrowed his brow as he recognized his own lack of forethought. He caught Carlotta's gaze, and they both chuckled awkwardly. I guess I'll have to convince them. The widow covered her face as her shoulders shook with quiet mirth.
1: Do what you must, but try to stay safe. I have other things to do besides look after you.
0: The hunter smiled as he finished fastening his bootstraps. He met her gaze, trying to think of some clever retort. But, alas... It seemed his wit had run out for the moment. No promises, he said with as much humor as he could muster. Carlotta's face fell slightly as he stood. Thanks again. I'll see you in the market sometime. Good luck. The widow offered, holding his gaze. You too, he said before double-checking on his belongings stowed away in their quiet corner and making for the door. He didn't think he'd look back. But as he opened the door and light began to flood in, he found himself using that slight turn of his shoulders as an excuse to glance back at the widow. Carlotta Valentia had her back to him and was soaking her calloused feet in one of the shallow pools of Kinnereth. That image would grow to be a persistent one in his mind, for it was the last time he would lay eyes on the strong woman for quite a while. As he rounded the bow embossed with battered shields, the scene of intense activity steadily revealed itself like he was slowly turning the page of a book. The yard of Yorvaskar was packed. Everyone was working on something. Younger members were going through forms under the strict direction of a pair of dark-haired brothers. Though the pair were of two very different sizes and builds, their bone structure and attire made their familial bond obvious, even from where the hunter was standing. The names Farkas and Vilkus floated to the surface of his mind. A balding Nord was sparring with Rhea. The hunter didn't know his name. Ayella was taking a few young ones through archery practice. In all, they looked like a militia readying for muster. Never before had he seen the yards so busy. The hunter spotted Bracknell sitting under the overhang with Codlac and made a beeline for the pair. As he walked, his eyes lingered on Ayla for a moment and true to her name, The huntress, as if feeling his gaze, whipped her head around to match it. Cold fire burned steely blue behind streaks of auburn hair. He held that look as he stepped onto the porch. He would not back down from a simple glare. Bracknell stood upon seeing him and clapped him on the shoulder merrily. Well, look at you! All healed and clean and still you slink around like you just crawled out of a sty. The hunter smiled half-heartedly. All cause you carry the sty around with you. The elder hunter grinned. Ha <laughs> ha! Good to see your head wasn't too scrambled. Still got the wit to be a smartass. Come along! orland has been waiting for you. The smith isn't the only one, piped up Codlac. It was then the hunter noticed the quiet beginning to descend on the yard. He looked around to see that the training had ceased. The whole guild of the companions was milling steadily towards the patio. We've all been looking forward to seeing this contraption in action. The hunter felt his gut start to churn at being the center of attention, and he knew his heart would soon be throbbing in his neck. He caught Aeolah's eyes again. She was smirking at him, as if she knew his internal anguish. He glared back, before suddenly his view was eclipsed by a towering steel-clad form, he looked up and found himself staring into the dark green eyes of Farkas, the taller of the two twins. Long black locks fell down round his face like curtains shielding a window. "'Please have a seat,' came a rumble of a voice, crackling like a distant avalanche. A hand fell onto his shoulder with the weight of a boulder, and he was unceremoniously sat down into a seat he hadn't known was behind him. "'Jorland will be down shortly.' "'Oh, good,' said Bracknell, easing himself back into his chair. "'I didn't feel like walking up those stairs, anyway.' "'Sure, you're saving those old knees for the trip back up the mountain, after all,' offered Codlack. "'Or I'm just lazy, <laughs> Bracknell laughed. "'I find that to be far more believable.' After a minute or two, the companions had closed ranks around the hunter and his table. Some were talking amongst themselves, some were elbowing each other for a better view, and some were flexing their own fingers, eyeing the hunter's mutilated hand. His view of Ayla had been blocked by the throng, but the hunter had a very good view of Farkas. Too much of a view in truth. Even seated the companion was so tall, the hunter felt the need to lean away from him just to get some air. At last came the deep voice from the edge of the crowd. Mike, White." The guild parted like reeds, and Jorland Greymane stepped forward, a case like a jewelry box cradled in his calloused hands. The hunter watched in silence as the master smith sat down before him, flanked by Bracknell and Codlak. The scene was almost too much, the giant Farkas leaning over him, Ayella's crazy ass somewhere in the crowd, the two most impressive men he'd ever met and Bracknell sitting before him, and the throng all pressing in to get a look as the master of the Skyforge opened the case. At first, it didn't look like much. A loose assortment of spindly metal rods and wooden blocks, but at a second glance one could see the craftsmanship was divine. The metal was strong but thin, and bent at joints so minute the hunter marveled at how they'd even been conceived of, let alone crafted. The smith held it up, adjusting it slightly so the shape of the finger became more apparent. "'Behold,' he said, "'a false finger, first of its kind, forged from steel, leather, and the wood of an insensita." He reached a handout to the hunter, who offered his injured appendage. The smith began by shoving the hunter's stump inside a leather pouch at the base of the new digit. It hurt. It hurt a lot, but there were too many eyes around for him to complain about the traumatized flesh. The finger was then secured by a series of adjustable leather straps that wrapped around his hand and wrist. He felt like he was wearing a glove that was considerably too small for him. However. When he looked down, he saw cedar joints forming his new finger. The smith had done it. He had a finger again. There was just one problem. He couldn't move it. It was then that Jorlin started sliding metal rings down his intact middle finger. There were three rings, two between the joints and one pinching the tip. Each ring had a jointed metal rod that attached it to its mirrored position on his false index finger. Try splaying your fingers," suggested Jorland. The hunter did so and watched as the metal joints straightened between the digits to keep them attached, and his new wooden finger stood up to join his middle finger. He flexed his hand, watching the mechanism work, and began to understand. His pointer finger would be piloted by his middle finger. Since he still had a nub, he'd be able to splay his fingers out to an extent. But really, the flexing and curling of the joints would all be informed by the intact appendage. One finger was to be a flesh and bone, the other a wooden puppet on metal strings. It was brilliant. Simply brilliant. It didn't offer grip strength, but if he pinched with his thumb, he had his leverage back. "'Why, Incense Cedar!' came a voice from the crowd, probably the surly Nord named Torvar. The wood had the most fitting benefits to the needs. Like what? It will still smell nice after he wipes his ass with it, piped up Bracknell, earning a wave of chuckles from the crowd. Jorland continued as if he hadn't heard any of it. Much like how a wooden sword must be smoothed and weathered, the finger needed to be made resistant to sweat and rot. Insensita was the most accepting of the alchemical treatment. The group hummed and hawed and understanding, some more genuine than others. The hunter felt around the set of leather straps holding the digit in place. So, I keep this on all the time? No. Jorlin said, reaching forward to demonstrate. You should take it off to let the hand breathe, and you can even loosen it like so. The smith undid the straps around the hand and loosened the ones around the wrist. The finger hung loosely by the wrist and the rings, and the hunter could feel the blood coming back into his hand. You may want to practice putting it back on. Who knows when you'll need it. For the next few minutes the hunter fiddled with his new finger, aided by the occasional instruction from the master of the Skyforge. When the novelty of this enterprise expired, Aethys voiced the collective thoughts of all in attendance. Are you up for seeing if it really works? The hunter stood, flexing the hand, and grinned at his sparring partner. You read my mind. Great, I'll grab the swords. That won't be necessary. A wooden sword came soaring from the back of the crowd, and the hunter reflexively caught it with his off hand. The throng turned in unison to see who else but Ayella, standing wooden blade in hand. I'll take this dance. Aethys' eyebrows furrowed as he looked between them. Stranger just got out of the Temple of Healing. Are you sure he's up for that? Up for it? Ayela scoffed as she and the hunter locked eyes again. He's been asking for it since he got here. They say there's a storm at the throat of the world. It births the skies and hides the heavens from any eye bound to Nern. The storm often sends its clouds spinning out away from it like falling leaves. They cast themselves across the width and breadth of Skyrim. Today the skies above Whiterun were dappled grey by midday. Tomorrow there may be rain, but the clouds were calm for now. Content to open and close, part and merge carrying out their conversations in some ancient language of winds. Yorvaskar had sat in a pool of golden sunlight as the hunter approached. Now, as he and Ayala squared off, the light shrunk like a puddle drying in the desert. The hunter felt his joints twitching with anticipation. Would they hold? They would have to. he breathed in and out trying to keep his breath smooth, but even he could hear the quiver in his diaphragm. Ayala gave him a subtle smile as she stood tapping the tip of her sword on the ground impatiently. The hunter put the small crowd of onlookers out of his mind and finished strapping on his new finger. He took up his sword, marking the immediate difference in the feel of the grip, and faced Ayala, just as the pool of light diminished to nothing and the yard was set in gray shadow. At this unspoken cue, Ayala darted forward. She struck at his chest. He parried and circled so she couldn't bring her momentum to bear. She spun and slashed, changing direction with him. He ducked, but had to lift his sword up to block a follow-up downward strike. She'd done a second pirouette, as ferocious as lightning, and now he was stuck. He remembered his drills. Parry, riposte, parry, riposte. But ducking had put him in a squat position, and she wasn't letting him back up. The huntress pressed forward with five slashes, of which he blocked two. He was squatting, then he was sitting, and by the end of the exchange he was flat on his back, with her smooth wooden blade resting against his neck. As the wolf of Whiterun stepped away, letting him back up, he cursed his own ego. All the training with her and Aethis had only brought him this, the ability to block two out of five attacks. However, on the other hand... Of course. She'd been training as a warrior her entire life. He'd crossed blades with little more than animals before two weeks ago. He knew he would not win. But as Ayala snickered, moving away, he reminded himself that he wasn't trying to win. He took a deep breath and lifted his legs over his head, rolling backwards onto his feet. It wasn't a combat maneuver, but it had a certain flash to it. He was relaxing. When he and Ayala squared off again, the hunter decided it was time to apply pressure. This time, he moved first, leaping in for a looping diagonal slash. Ayala quirked an eyebrow, then disappeared. The hunter choked as the side of his neck exploded in pain. He clutched at his throat, tears in his eyes. When he turned his head to look for her, the tip of her sword pressed into his cheek. Don't get angry, he told himself. Just keep pressing. The next exchange was a first. He leapt in again, more balanced this time. Aella parried and post with a straight (coughs) strike. He sidestepped, parried, and went for her midsection. She dodged, inviting him in and struck at his wrist. However, he had managed to avoid overcommitting and simply stepped back out of danger. They blinked at each other for a moment. A clean exchange. Then the clattering of sword on sword resumed. It seemed that both of them had learned from their first fight, and even from their brawl. The hunter had learned to take initiative. He wasn't just defending, waiting for openings that closed as soon as he could see them. He was pressing forward. At times it was sloppy, at times it was brutish. But he was beginning to feel the flow of the fight. Ayala hadn't been wrong when she called it a dance. It had a cadence and rhythm that he hadn't fully appreciated from his usual stance of backpedaling with all the haste he could manage. To Aella's abundant credit, she was wise to his tricks, and went far out of her way to keep him from using his surroundings like he had before. She darted around him, diving, rolling, and swiping at his legs, anything to keep him away from the practice dummies, the targets, the porch, your or even the onlookers themselves. He would be kept in the center of the yard, and forced to fight her on even ground, sword to sword. The hunter's earlier assessment held true through most of the fight. When Ayella started to pick up the pace, he could only parry maybe two out of every five strikes. Then, on about the tenth exchange, things took a surprising turn. The hunter parried a probing strike from Ayella. He faked high and struck low. Ayela diagnosed the move and skipped her legs back out of the way while simultaneously lunging her upper body forward to strike at the growing welt on the side of his neck. However. His neck was not there. The low strike had, in fact, been a ducking charge. The hunter, as if forgetting the sword still held tightly in his hand, wrapped up Ayala's legs and tackled her to the stone. The crowd laughed at the brash childishness of the maneuver and how they should have known it would eventually come to this. But for the pair on the ground, the fight was far from over. They were face to face now. The hunter bringing all his weight to bear as he tried to press his wooden blade into the throat of the wolf of Whiterun. The huntress growled up at him, one hand on his hilt keeping the blade off her neck, the other trying to find the right angle to jab him in the ribs with her own sword. The hunter felt her legs curl up under him, ready to kick him off, so he slipped his hips and legs to the side of hers, still pressing down with everything he could muster. Some part of his mind registered that her sword would have just about slashed his gut open had it been sharp steel, but that wasn't relevant right now. What mattered was the look in Ayala's eyes. Genuine shock and apprehension. A crack in the smooth visage of a warrior carved in marble. She kicked and wheeled her legs, trying to find purchase on him. Then the hunter did something that silenced Yorvaskar. He leaned down Till he was pressing his forehead into hers, bared his teeth, and growled. <sighs> the moment that followed felt like it lasted a minute. Ayala went still beneath him, pale blue eyes wide with disbelief. The crowd held its collective breath. Whatever was living in the eaves of the porch started scrabbling about again. Then, Ayella's face contorted in fury, and he saw it. She bared her teeth and growled back at him, only they weren't just teeth. They were almost fangs, and the growl carried a deep undertone of beastly malice. Her eyes flashed red in that moment, and he saw it all, because he had been looking for it. What happened next should have taken him by surprise, but didn't. He was launched, wholesale, straight up in the air. As he hung there for a moment at the mercy of gravity, Aella brought her legs up and kicked him ten feet across the yard. He rolled and skidded across the worn stone till traction eventually caught hold of him and he stopped. Thoroughly winded, he panted his way to his feet, clutching his stomach. He barely had time to register that through it all his sword was still in his hand when Aella was upon him. She attacked him with such ferocity even Codlac would have flinched at the speed. The hunter was calm, however. He knew he'd already won. Then Ayala turned her back and stalked away, huffing with frustration. The hunter was confused for a moment till he realized that he hadn't been hit. He'd somehow defended himself. She must have thrown sixteen strikes at him in a matter of a couple seconds, and he'd parried each and every one of them. He hadn't thought about it. He hadn't even tried to do it. It just happened. High, right, high, right, left, slash, thrust, low, right, thrust, high, spin, high, low, slash, left. All of it turned away with the slap of his blade. Now the Wolf of Whiterun was pacing around the yard, seething like a caged beast. yellow roared and snapped her sword in two over her knee. She flung the pieces at a wall, the pointed end sinking into an archery target because why wouldn't it? Then she was bearing down on the porch. Just about everyone in the audience scrambled for safety, some knocking over chairs or falling backwards over tables. However, all she did was pick up a small pouch and storm off out of the yard. As the hunter watched her go, he let his own sword clatter to the ground. He moved to follow the huntress, but suddenly, three large shapes were blocking his path. Farkas, Vilcus, and the third one he didn't know were barring him from their companion. The unfamiliar one glared at him with one sightless eye. The hunter shuffled his feet, unsure how to proceed, then Ayella's voice rang out once more. Leave him be! The three looked back at the huntress, then to each other, and then to the hunter. But he had already skirted around them and was following in Ayela's footsteps, out of the training yard, and away from Yorvaskar. The parapets of the Wind District have often struggled to find a real, strategic purpose. They are not posted on the outer wall, overlooking the villages and farms of the Hold like those of the Plains District, and they are not exceptionally high up with eyes on the far horizons like those of the Cloud District. Much of the crime in the Wind District is done in the residential zones by thieves after the goods of the rich, or by the young bands of Plains District vandals. It was in those areas that the guards focused their patrols. As a result, the parapets and the watchtowers aligning the wind district show all the typical signs of neglect. Moldy wood, crumbling stonework, ivy in the eaves and grass on the slope-like steps. The one the hunter and Ayela now sat at had been thoughtfully fitted with a bench so it could serve as a recreational source of scenic beauty. They sat in restless silence for several minutes, the hunter shot Aella a few glances, but each time she was simply looking at her fingers wrapped around the small pouch or out at the view. It was quite a view, looking west across the widest stretches of the hold. The sun's rays could be seen creeping tentatively down from the clouds, widening as if the light was trusting Nern with its weight. Then it shrunk, retreating back into the sky before touching down elsewhere. In this way, the sun walked across the land step by step, leaving tracks of young spring grass waving in its wake. The hunter had just begun to wonder, if these pockets of light were the tracks of a creature, how many lakes would it have? He'd counted five, when Ayala finally spoke. So... She shot her eyes furtively in his direction. I hear you got hurt on a walk a couple nights ago. The hunter could only fight back a smile and shake his head at her sheer persistence. Yes, he said patiently. It all started when I howled. You howled? Yes. I wandered over to the Battleborn farm, and then I jumped up on this wall, and I and I howled like this. You don't have to do it now. Oh, yes I do. No. Oh. Mm-hmm. Is that right? It is! And then the craziest thing happened. The hunter let his eyes go wide and vapid, like an overstimulated child telling a story. These wolves from Riverwood Valley showed up. I don't know why they were there, but Bracknell and I are going to try to figure it out when we get back to the mountains. And then I thought they were going to kill me, but instead they just mugged me. And then they ran away because these big hairy monsters came. And I messed up my ankle, so I tried to hide from the flippin' nightmares, but then one found me, and it talked. It said that I owed it again, and that's all fine and dandy, but considering the fact that it nearly crushed my skull... The hunter dropped back to a dead serious tone. I don't think I owe you anything. He finished with a definite and crushing proclamation. Aeolus silently glared at him, and he glared at her. Her eyes searched his as she weighed her options. Then at last, she finally cracked. You could have gotten yourself killed! You almost broke my skull! You! You! You could have... Oh, by Ysgramor, what in oblivion were you even doing there? What the- what was- what was I doing there? Where is there? What is going on? You have to be the biggest idiot in all of Tamriel. And I don't even know what you are. Gods! Fucking hit me already! And another thing. what? Fucking punch me in the face! I don't- NOW! Okay. Understanding nothing, The hunter coiled back and sent his fist crashing against Ayala's jaw. Her head whipped around with the impact, but she seemed otherwise unfazed. Good! she shouted, then drove her own fist so deep into his gut he was very glad he'd skipped breakfast. He doubled over, retching and gagging, as his stomach tried to jettison a great wad of nothing. Ayala just rubbed his back, almost tender now her rage seeming to ebb away like a tide. God, look at you, she said, shaking her head. You're so weak and frail. I bet I could put my arm straight through you if I tried. <coughs> You're saying you didn't? The hunter choked. Ayla opened the pouch, revealing a small red potion and a squat jar full of something that looked like marmalade. Here, she said, offering him what he guessed was a healing potion. Drink this. The hunter took it, still clutching his gut, and looked at the huntress like she was crazy. Drink this! You fucking drink this! What the heck? Gonna punch me in the stomach and say drink this? (laughs) His wheezing voice found strength and he bellowed. What the heck are you anyway? Aella actually flinched at this. Don't fucking shout it, okay? The hunter obliged and lowered his voice. What? In all the hellish plains of oblivion, are you? I'm... I'm... Aella ran her hands through her auburn hair in agitation. Oh, well, I can't believe I'm actually doing this. Um... She glanced at the hunter as if hoping for him to interject with some witticism. He just stared back at her, still hunched over and resentful. Fuck. I'm a lycanthrope, alright? A lycanthrope. Yes. A werewolf. Yes! Werewolves are real. You got your finger cut off by vampires, which, by the way, they probably ate, just so you know. Are you really having trouble believing that werewolves can exist? Suddenly, the hunter became self-conscious and glanced over his shoulder. Is this the best place to be discussing this? As good a place as any. Well, you mind taking it from the top, then? The top? What top? What is a werewolf? Who else knows about you? Is it just you? Okay, I already told you too much. This is none of your business. Oh, it isn't? Because I've got this scar, the hunter pointed at his right eye, that says it's very much my business. Oh, and I nearly broke your skull, so you say, only to stop Skewer from killing you on sight. I saved you, and you want to walk into my house and challenge me like some upstart pup? Well, it worked, didn't it? And now I know the other one's name is Skior. By the gods, this was a mistake. I'll say. Shut up, seriously. The hunter obliged, and Aella buried her face in her hands and curled up. She stayed like that for just a moment, knees and elbows knitted, palms pressed over her eyes. It was something the hunter had never seen from her. Not a warrior, not a huntress, but an awkward, vulnerable person struggling through a social quandary. Next thing, she was back eyeing him carefully from behind her auburn veil. Take off that shirt. What? Just take off your shirt. No, why? What, are you afraid to get it dirty? It's already dirty. Great, so just take it off. Why? Stranger. Fine. The hunter relented and removed the loose, once pale, fabric from his torso. Now, turn around. Ayala insisted, and the hunter spun around and straddled the bench with his back to her, all scarred and bruised. And seriously, drink that potion. I'll try, the hunter mumbled. What do you want with my back? Ayala didn't answer. He heard the winding of cord and cloth, then the popping of a cork. After a moment, he felt her hands and flinched instinctively. But for the first time, they touched without force or violence. He felt some smooth, creamy substance being spread by her fingers. She massaged and rubbed it into his scars and bruises. As she circled the rim of the crater where the arrow had shattered his shoulder blade, she began to speak, slowly. I am a werewolf. So is the entire circle of the companions. The hunter uncorked the potion and cocked an ear. Yes, Codlack? Yes, Codlac Whitemane is also a werewolf. Who else knows? There are some within the companions who know. Most of the whelps like Galdus and Rhea don't know. Some of the proper guild members, like Aethys and N'Jada, have been around long enough to figure it out. Anyone outside the guild? No one. Not even the Jarl. I mean, I'm sure some in the Cloud District have their suspicions, but... No. I feel like no one could fight you at close range and not have their suspicions. Well? Outside of the guild, most who fight me at close quarters don't live to tell the tale, do they? I suppose you're right. He took a tentative sip of the potion and fought the urge to recoil. Actually, it wasn't as bad this time around. How many are the circle? Five. Codlack is the harbinger. Then there's myself, Farkas, Vilkus, and Skior. You met him. Balding, white hair, bald in one eye. So that's who that was. The hunter nodded before fighting down a full swig of the healing potion. Ugh. Grumpy bastard, isn't it? Ah! had jabbed her thumb into the welt on the side of his neck, causing the hunter's limbs to all curl like withering vines. He is a celebrated veteran of the Imperial Legion and one of the most accomplished warriors in all of Tamriel. You're lucky to be scowled at by him. Yeah, okay, got it. The hunter squeaked like the pup he probably resembled to her. Ayela released his neck and started rubbing what he figured to be some kind of poultice or salve into the mark there. Any more questions? What decides who becomes a werewolf? There's a ritual, and there are rites to perform. Well, that just gives me more questions. Then, ask them. "Are Are you sure? The hunter turned slightly to look back at the wolf of Whiterun, but she pressed her finger into his cheek, stopping the motion. Eyes forward, she said. Let's just keep talking. The hunter chalked this up to his new tally of lycanthrope quirks and continued. What is a werewolf? What makes a werewolf a werewolf? Ayela took a deep breath, moved on to rubbing his arms, and began to explain. Lycanthropes carry the beast blood, and the beast form sleeps in our bones. The beast blood was a gift to mortals from the Daedric prince Hircine, lord of the hunt. I presume you know him? I know of him. I've known other hunters who carry emblems or fetishes of him. But... Honestly, I never put much stock into the stories of Adra and Daedra. Ayela leaned her face over his shoulder. Then you truly are a fool. A woman who can turn into a giant wolf is rubbing your back. Yeah, I know, but can we, like, just one existential crisis at a time, please? Ayala chuckled. Sure. As I was saying, we who are most loyal to Hirsen... Give ourselves to the chase, the thrill, the hunt, now and in death. In return, seen grants us the boon of lycanthropy. The power to be the beasts we truly are inside. Are you still you? I am always me. Aeola deadpanned. Yeah, but when you're like that, you can still think like yourself, right? Aela squinted at him. Firstly, do you really think that you would be alive if I couldn't? That's fair. Secondly, I think you've misunderstood me. I don't become the beast. I am the beast. The woman beside you right now is the predator. She is the monster. That's what makes us feared. That's what makes us powerful. When we take that other form, it's more freeing than anything else. It's like dropping all pretense. The hunter nodded slowly and bowed his head in thought you're seen he began but didn't go anywhere with the thought are you okay Ayla asked (sighs) Uh, i know it's been a long time coming i suppose but you're really rocking my world with all this werewolves daedra vampires is is there a daedric lord responsible for vampires (sighs) probably go ask a vampire The hunter sighed. I'll get right on that. He drummed on his knees for a moment. Are you guys looking to turn, people? The circle hasn't bestowed the beast blood for a while. The things that make you a good companion are not necessarily the things that make you a good werewolf. Even though Aethys or Ramasha have been around longer, I think Rhea is closer than any of them. Would that make her part of the circle? Not necessarily, but it would practically assure it. I see. Does Bracknell know? Of course Bracknell knows. All right. Bastard. You said it. How did you meet Bracknell? Ayala paused in her work. Well, you know, he's been around from time to time, since I grew up. When I was very young, actually. He never stayed for long, but he always made an impression when he was there. Friend of mine. Friend of the guild. Friend of my mother's, I think. If you're a friend of his, I'm inclined not to kill you for knowing this. Assuming you can keep a secret. Oh, I can keep a secret. Before I met Bracknell, I didn't do a lot of... talking. At all. Ayla nodded. Well, that's comforting. What, um... What's the deal with Codlack? Why don't you want me to help him? What would he ask? Okay, that is very much guild business. I'm not getting into that. Oh, and lycanthropy isn't guild business? This is different. Just remember your end of the bargain. And lay down on your back. Okay, again, why? I hit you in the gut a few times, didn't I? Oh, did you? I hardly noticed. The hunter lay back on the bench and watched as Aela came into view once more, kneeling beside him, her dusty blue tunic still colorful enough to compliment her eyes. Those eyes looked down at his chest, and Ayala did something that he never thought he'd see in a million years. She snorted, gasped, and started laughing. She guffawed so hard she just sat down next to the bench. What? The hunter asked, propping himself up on his elbows. Ayela's shoulders shook with mirth as she tried to suppress the sound. She reached down and held up one of her boots. It was a bluntly pointed thing of much finer make than the hunter would ever wear. He failed to comprehend the humor until he noticed that the shape of the sole exactly matched the shape of the light purple bruise on his solar plexus. He grinned and looked at Ayala, who was trying to put her boot back on with one hand and pinching her nose with the other. What? he asked, chortling. You kicked the shit out of me back there. I mean, what would have happened if you caught me in the privates? It's not like you ever used them anyway. Ayala cackled. The hunter shot up his eyebrows. Okay, whoa, ouch. Ayla wiped off her face. I know, I know. Just lay back, and I'll take care of it. Hey now. What? The hunter only grinned and waggled his eyebrows at the huntress. Oh, grow up! Ayla exclaimed, swiping playfully about his ears. The hunter shook his head, still smiling incredulously. I am grown, that's the problem. Also, also I have functional arms, you know. I can put poultice on my own stomach. Yeah, I know, just... <sighs> Just, just let me do this. It's easier. Easier than what? Just get down. The hunter rolled his eyes and lay back. He winced when Ayala started applying the salve, but when she settled into smooth, circular motions, it began to feel quite nice. Where are you from, anyway? The mountains. Riverwood. Helgen. Your whole life? No, I've been around. Like where? Places. Ayala snorted again. <laughs> I hate you. I actually think I hate you. I just let you in on a secret only a few people in all of Skyrim know. And you can't even talk about yourself enough to make conversation. The hunter shrugged. Sorry. Come on, we know each other well enough. I rubbed your back. By that metric, you're right up there with a few trees I've known. How about... what's your real name? What do you mean? stranger can't be your real name. Why can't it? Well, to start, no parent would ever name their child stranger. Yeah. I guess they wouldn't. Ayala paused in her attentions, voice catching as his meaning sunk in. I... She sighed. I'm sorry. There, I said it. The hunter yawned. Ah, congratulations. I still hate you, just for the record. Oh, you think you hate me now? Just wait till I do this. The hunter lifted a leg and began to rapidly shake it like a pampered dog. Ayla pursed her lips and shook her head, eyes closed. She pinched her brow and sat back, ignoring the poultice she inadvertently put on her face. (laughs) I can't believe you. Oh, is this offensive to werewolves? He asked, himself chuckling merrily. No, it's great. Do it again. The hunter wheeled his leg once more and put on his most goofy, (laughs) cross-eyed smile. Ayla's shoulders started shaking again, and he swore her face was starting to turn red. Her eyes screwed shut and she laughed so hard, no actual noise came out. He could see her nostrils flaring rhythmically with her fruitless heaves. Finally, she gasped in air and lay back on the grassy stone, giggling and trying to catch her breath. The hunter, almost delirious from laughter himself, rolled onto his side to look at her. (laughs) What happens? If I go rubbing your belly. Ah. Oh, don't you dare. I will deck you and feel nothing. I completely believe you. The hunter (laughs) chuckled. He took in a deep breath and let it out. Oh, (laughs) gods. Ayala wiped her eyes. This. This is so stupid. I know. I know. Oh. You and Bracknell are going to leave soon, right? Now that you've got your new finger? As if reminded, the hunter loosened the straps on his new digit and rolled over so they were both staring up at the ivy-covered eaves. Yeah, we're probably out as early as we can tomorrow. I expect you'll be glad to be leaving? The hunter thought about it. Yeah. Ayla didn't respond for a moment. I see. The city, it's great and all, but I don't think it's my speed, if that makes sense. The hunter hung his leg down off the bench and kicked her booted foot playfully. Try not to miss me too much. How can I miss you? I don't even know you. Ah, oh, you know plenty about me. Like what? You know I'm a good shot. Hmm. <sighs> not good enough. Ayla sat up slowly with a languid stretch. Mm, come on, we've got half a day left. Let's work on your form. The hunter sat up as well. What about lunch? We'll multitask. Ayla shrugged and began to walk away. As the hunter was throwing on his shirt, suddenly, a thought occurred to him. Wait, Ayla, one more question. The huntress looked back at him. Yes? Have you ever... He faltered. Uh... You know? Have I ever what? Have you ever eaten someone? Like a whole person. Have you ever just. He made a crunching motion with his hands, eyes wide for emphasis. Ayala appraised him with a small grin that was both surprised and amused. Huh. You're funny, stranger. The hunter blinked. I don't know how to take that. Ayala didn't bother elaborating, turned on her heel and kept walking. Ayala? I feel like this one deserves an answer, Ayala The huntress suppressed a giggle as the hunter wobbled to his feet and followed her back into the streets of Whiterun. The skies had cleared by the next morning yesterday's clouds proving an empty threat the heavens were alight but the sun had yet to rise it was good traveling weather and the hunter was eager to get underway he was sitting in front of the bannered mare adjusting the straps on the short sword he'd been lent by the guild it wasn't a dagger it wasn't a long sword and most importantly it wasn't his aethis expected it back when he returned to pick up his actual commission he was trying to fix it so it stuck out from his right hip. That way he had his arrows on his left hip and the hilt of his sword on his right. If he didn't figure it out by the time they reached the gate, he'd just throw the darn thing on his back. Bracknell would be out soon, he hoped. He would like to get gone without running into Mikael or Uthgard. Just about the time the guards started giving the shaggy ragamuffin a few more glances, Bracknell emerged from the inn with the innkeeper, Holda, by his side. Are you sure that extra slice of pie won't slow you down? Nonsense! I'll walk the weight off by the time I hit the foothills. Oh, if you say so. Do you have everything you need? How can I when you're staying here? The venerable innkeeper blushed like a maiden. Well, if that's how you truly feel, then don't be a stranger. The hunter rolled his eyes. If he had a septum for every time that exact phrase had been sent his way as a joke, he'd be a lord by now certainly not said bracknell before sweeping holda up in his arms dipping her low and planting a firm kiss on her mouth as the old pair necked like teenagers the hunter wandered off behind the well in the square if only to get away from the incessant slurping sounds he caught a guard's eye and the latter looked away probably blushing under their helmet after about three minutes of sheer bliss the hunter felt a tap on his shoulder and turned to see bracknell adjusting the straps on his pack in the background, Hulda stood pining at the front step of her inn. Ready to go? The elder hunter asked. Being ready. The pair set off towards the front gate, making minor adjustments to their straps as they went. Motion always had a way of revealing all the little wiggles that would cause blisters if unattended. Just as they passed by Bree's Home, the hunter eyed Bracknell. Apparently feeling his gaze, the old man piped up. You got something to say? The hunter shook his head. Nothing I didn't already know about you. Oh, very funny. I take it you and Ayala had a good time last night? The hunter glared at him. We did, but not at all in the way that you're implying. I imply nothing, but I will say outright that you are not good enough for her. Who is? The hunter smiled softly to himself. All we did was talk. She could not stop laughing when I asked her if a Khajiit could become a lycanthrope. Bracknell tossed his head back with a hearty cackle. (laughs) Ha 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 ha! Ah, so, that particular cat's out of the bag, is it? I suppose it was only a matter of time. Did you know what would happen when I left? Did you know where she would be? I had my suspicions. For Aella, blowing off steam can mean anything from cloud district archery practice, assembling and destroying combat dummies, or shifting into a hound of hair and gallivanting around the fields, ripping apart deer with her bare hands. The hunter stroked his scraggly beard. Perhaps I should get her a diary when the Mid-Ear Festival comes around. The elder hunter paused and appraised his young compatriot. Well, I'll be. That's certainly something new. I know, novel idea, right? I should probably use it to balance a weapons display case or something. I'm not talking about Ayala. I'm talking about you. The hunter stopped as well and looked back at the old man. What about me? I've heard you speculate. I've heard you wonder, and I've even heard you hope. But that might be the first time I've heard you talk about the future, like you actually planned to be there. The hunter's eyes dropped to Bracknell's feet as he mulled the words over. He smiled at his friend. I guess that's true. He began to walk backwards, letting Bracknell catch up as they continued out to the front gate. I've got a question for you, old hound. Let's hear it. What spooks elk herds? kills salmon and displaces whole packs of wolves Bracknell grinned why I don't know but you're going to help me find out aren't you Thank you for listening to this chapter of the Skyrim audio adventure. I know this one took a long time. It had a hell of a production cycle. Oy, but it's out now. And I'd like to give a special thanks to my sister, Keeley, for filling in as Carlotta Valentia for this episode. I'm now jumping right into the writing portion of the next three episodes. I'm going to be writing all three of those at once because they are kind of their own little arc. And, uh, I wanted to make sure that I maintained consistency throughout that process, and so I'm going to be writing them consecutively. That means that you can probably expect another delay, but in about a month, I'll be back with more content and more guest voices. While I'm writing, I might also put out some other little things that I've had on the back burner, but until then, thanks for listening.